really we want to help Canadian businesses at any point in their export journey. There's something that EDC can do to help you. Welcome to the Shio.world podcast, where you will meet women who are transforming the world to be more equitable and sustainable. This is a recording from a CEO Learning Circle in May 2021 in partnership with EDC, Export Development Canada. If you're interested in selling to customers outside of Canada, listen into the stories of CEO Venture and Activator Suzanne Avile, Jennifer Cook of Export Development Canada, and this was facilitated by Hannah, CEO Venture in Residence. They are going to offer you all the expert tips on how to get started with exporting. For more information, go to edc.ca. Let's jump in. Welcome to CEO.world. Let me hand it over to the two experts that we have here on the call, Jennifer Cook with EDC and Suzanne with Isle, which is a CEO venture and someone that has been leading in the industry. So let's all jump in, Jen and Suzanne. Let's talk about exporting. Welcome. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Thank you for the lovely welcome. Good to see you here, Jennifer, as well. Likewise, thanks everyone for joining us today. So, you know, I just alluded to that, like a lot of people don't even know they're exporting when they're exporting, right? <laughs> and Suzanne, when I'm wondering in your own business, when was the moment when you were like, how far in were you where you're like, oh, we need to export? Well, I mean, when Madeline started the business uh, back in the in the late, well, mid to late 90s, um, she was literally just going from store to store and knocking on doors and trying to get the products in stores. And that was a really tough haul as anyone who has started out that way knows. And what she then realized was that the internet and e-commerce was a really great way to reach customers beyond your own footprint. And then she realized that orders were not just coming in from Canada, but lo and behold, they were trickling in from the US. And so that was sort of the big realization that, and of course it's common knowledge now that the internet and e-commerce is really the way to open the doors most easily. And the barriers are, are pretty narrow now with e-commerce and we can talk about you know, what it means to export and get products across the border. But really it was, it was having the website um, back in, oh my gosh, 1999-2000 was when the very first um, lunapads.com wow. website was was established. That's amazing. I, it's, yeah, it's amazing how long you've seen so much mm -hmm. down your path and what it looks like and probably have paved the way for a lot of us and of what to do and not to do. And Jen, how long have you been with the EDC? And I'm wondering, you know, we know just so, you know, Suzanne is working with the EDC but how long have you been with the EDC and what is like the first thing that an entrepreneur needs to consider when they export? Thank you so much. And it's wonderful to share a real life story like Suzanne's, um, which so many entrepreneurs are going through. And I think it's sort of the best way for us to learn is by sharing so stories of success and how others have done it before us. So I've been with EDC for 11, uh, 11 years now, time flies always working on the front line. So um, in, in business development, connecting with Canadian businesses and supporting them in whatever their, their export or growth objectives are uh, by, by helping them access uh, solutions and resources that can really help them along their export journey. And what I would say, you know, oh, to add to that, I'll say that 
in the last three years specifically, so since the end of 2018, I've been focused 100% of my time specifically on how EDC can increase our support to women-owned and women-led businesses specifically. So, um, you know, and, and really learning about how women take a different approach to business and how we as support organizations need to meet them where they are and support them in the ways that they need support. And I guess, um, you know, over this time, you, you nailed it. Hannah, is that women are often exporting and they don't even know it. So my suggestion is we need to broaden our mindsets um, and think about the possibilities for our business. Um, you know, so many women are in the business of providing services, professional services or whatnot, or maybe it's services uh, combined with, uh, with goods or, or products and, um, or technology businesses that just don't even relate to the word export. But truly, you're right. Even if you all your service is provided in Canada, if you're providing it to customers who aren't here in Canada, you're an exporter. So what does that mean? And, and what could opening up your mindset about exporting do for your business? Um, and, and I'll just end on this is that what we've seen in the last year with the pandemic, which has really challenged so many of our small businesses, and particularly women-owned businesses in Canada who've had to, you know, handle so many different challenges in this time. The one benefit that I think has truly come out of it is what Suzanne's talked about is the acceleration of digitization of your business. And when we think about e-commerce, how can, like that just opens up a whole world of possibilities. E-commerce is export because the whole world is your, your, your opportunity. Um, there's so much more we can talk about it, but I'll leave it at that for now. So Jen, that that's can, a uh, tweet. <laughs> All e-commerce yes. is export, really. Yeah. Like, you know, that's, if you're in e-commerce, that is export. And so I think that I would love to bust a myth here. And it's one that I've held forever also, which is I've worked with so many entrepreneurs over the years in the startup community. And when they start to look at export, the first thing is we're going to the US. Like there's not even a, why should we go? What do we, you know, should we go? But it's like US is always that first piece. And, um, and you could even see it in the CEO impact report. All of our ventures in Canada, Australia, New Zealand, we're all exporting. But in the US, there's very few that are exporting because they have such a bigger market there. So Suzanne, but what were your considerations about, you know, should we, is, is US actually the first step that we need to go to? What are some considerations there? Yeah. And um, U.S. is obviously a natural and logical place to go first, because if you consider exporting, you think about who is your customer, who is your ideal customer, where are they, where are more of them, and what are the barriers to entry? And so the U.S. is a very logical, smart place to go. And um, there is an incredible amount of opportunity because you're speaking the same language, the culture is the same, there's so many similarities you don't necessarily want to go beyond the US if you're then having to learn the culture and learn the nuances of how to sell to that particular um, customer segment. And so really the considerations are, where's the opportunity? Where's the white spaces? What's the easiest way for you to go forward? Having said that, you don't have to look just within the US. There are other international opportunities. 
and we've talked about this earlier, which is like Canada has a great brand. Like there are lots of countries who want to buy from Canada because of the reputation, because yeah. of being such a wonderful country in terms of ethics and sustainability and all those pieces that come with, with the brand. And so I think when looking beyond the US, you wanna to look to countries where maybe Canada is seen as a, as a high quality favorable brand. And the other thing that we have recently done is we've partnered with a, um, an Asian kind of conglomerate of um, entrepreneurs who want to promote international products and Canadian is, is one of them is leverage their knowledge of their own customer segment. Don't reinvent the wheel and try and do your own research. Like if they are doing it, leverage their resources and, and so move forward and work with them. And so we just recently signed up with um, an, a country, uh, in Singapore where they are selling Femtech products and they're selling all sorts of period care products. And they reached out to us because they really loved our brand. And all we had to do was send them the products and send them our brand story. And they positioned it in a way that suited their customers and how their customers wanted to see the brand. So don't feel like you have to reinvent the wheel, but of course do your research because you don't want to go into something that is so new that you're spending a lot of time on something that you could probably spend your time better on something that is an easier sell and an easier entry point. Yeah, it's that easier entry point, the similar customers, but the US is also really huge. You could also just pick one state mm -hmm. or where those customers could be or where your product would play well. Um, you know, if it's winter here and you're selling a summer product, maybe you should be exporting into Australia during those winter months when you're selling a summer product. So I think there's so many things that you need to consider around who's your customer, those, those pieces there. What, what kind of most surprised you about the exporting process? Um, I think that sometimes there are barriers that you weren't expecting. So you'll send it and then you'll realize, oh, gee, I got turned around because you didn't have the right paperwork. So it, there's a pretty high um, threshold for it not to touch customs and for customs to say, oh, it's fine. And um, it's, I think it's as high as $800 or something like that. But when you have a large shipment going across the border, like say more than $2,000, then there is some significant paperwork to complete. And you can get caught off guard and go, wait, I thought that was gonna arrive right away. And so we have a customs broker, which I highly recommend if you're going to be doing large shipments across the border and work with them to have the paperwork settled. Um, because that's what can really hold things up. And so there is um, websites, I think I sent you one, Hannah, around um, paperwork that you need to fill out when you are sending products across the border. And so just do your homework before you kind of assume and promise that your customer is going to get it within a week. It might take a couple of weeks because of the extra paperwork. The other thing is um, because we're in healthcare, we actually have to pass regulatory hurdles. So our products mm. are FDA accepted. And um, as it turns out, Health Canada doesn't consider um, our products to be within their kind of class one, two, three um, regulations, although our menstrual cup is within that class. So check, check for regulations, make sure the product is um, accepted. And so for example, when we went to Singapore and Japan, we made the importer do the homework to say like, look, our menstrual cups accepted, our period pads accepted, our period underwear accepted. So those are things to really watch out for. Um, but that's kind of the main thing. If it's if possible, maybe your products are NAFTA certified and so get, get your NAFTA paperwork in order. Um, shipping rates, obviously important. Insurance is really important. 
And then the other surprise that can happen is customers do not like it when duty is applied to receiving their product. So A, you need to warn them and B, maybe do some homework and tell them like, you know, we're in feminine hygiene. I don't like to call it that. I prefer to um, take the gender out of it and call it period care. There may be a, a duty applied to period care products. It could be anywhere from five to 15%, depending on what country it's going into. So give them a heads up and a warning because you don't want an upset customer coming to you saying, I wasn't expecting this. Oh my gosh, you just wrote a whole blog post. <laughs> like, here's all the things you need to look out for. That was incredible of what you've seen. And so this kind of leads me naturally into, you know, after working with entrepreneurs, a lot of people are like, okay, we have EDC, but I don't know what to do. And I don't know when to engage them. It's, uh, you know, what does this look like? So Suzanne, when did you engage with EDC? And, and what did that look like for you? Well, first of all, it was super easy. I haven't even had to directly have a conversation with EDC because the great thing about EDC and Jennifer can explain it way better than I can is they partner with the banks. And so my relationship with EDC is, is awesome because EDC has a relationship with our bank and we were with RBC quite recently and now we're with Scotiabank and we were able to get a larger line of credit at a more favorable rate because EDC partners with the bank to guarantee some of that lending facility and also has a, a tool where if we need to go to our supplier, which we're in the middle of doing right now and get a letter of credit so that we can get good terms with the supplier and not have to pay deposits, not have to pay in advance. EDC provides that extra degree of security through these instruments that they offer and the guarantees that they offer. So that makes it easier for us with from a cash flow perspective and also gives our suppliers some assurance that we will pay. Like, don't, don't worry, we're not going under, there's a guarantee on it. So I will let Jennifer explain that, but really um, it, in terms of me as an entrepreneur, it's actually almost the best case scenario that I don't have to actually do a lot of work because EDC has done it behind the scenes and I don't have to do any extra work and say, okay, now I've got to phone Jennifer and ask Jennifer some, for some help. She's already doing the work for me. Um, that's also an amazing testimonial. The fact that an entrepreneur just said, don't have to do a lot of work. <laughs> and my heart was like, oh, how do I engage? How do you make my life easier? I think, you know, the fact that you're saying a guarantee and those types of tools, do you want to kind of dive into that, Jen? Is it that they show up to the bank or how does that kind of work? Well, yes. So thank you, Suzanne, for, for that kind testimonial. And I, I will say that you know, we're trying to make it easier and easier for companies that, you know, want to rely on some of the tools or leverage some of the tools that EDC provides to make it more seamless. Um, we weren't always that easy <laughs> to work with, but we are working every day to try and make it easier and simpler for businesses to work with us. And part of that is, is also, um, you know, relying on our financial institution partners. So, so exactly right. Like you asked Hannah, when should an entrepreneur think about, you know, approaching EDC? And I will say, really, we want to help Canadian businesses at any point in their export journey. There's something that EDC can do to help you, whether it's providing knowledge and information, um, educational support so that you can build the skills and how, you know, know about the tools that you need to be able to export with confidence 
Or like Suzanne has mentioned, you know, when you start needing extra working capital because you're growing, because you're selling outside of Canada. And that's really where EDC can uh, have a significant impact in supporting your financial institution, whether it's a bank or a credit union, to uh, help you get access to working capital, whether it's you know, uh, getting a bigger loan so that you can build up inventory or whether you need to buy a piece of equipment so that you can export more, we can guarantee loans. Um, you know, the other piece of it is, is mitigating risk. And, you know, I talked about mindset before. Um, there's tools that can protect you against the risk of not getting paid. But I also like to point out that tools like that can also help you win more business because ensuring your accounts receivable lets you offer better payment terms to customers internationally so you don't have to ask for cash up front you can be more competitive and offer them payment terms while still protecting yourself and knowing that if they don't pay you you're still going to get paid and be covered um, and it can also help you that's another tool that gets the, the financial institutions more comfortable to lend you some more money. So, you know, there's a lot of technical details behind that, but I think what I would leave our audience with is that, you know, at any point in your export journey, um, you know, reach out because there's people here that are, are that want to make it easier for you to do that, to, to, to succeed internationally. And, you know, I know that there's probably a lot of people that are maybe in the start of their journey, and so that is when we talk about guarantees and the things that are happening at the bank, a lot of misconceptions when people start something, if they have never started a business before, they think yeah. their bank is actually the first go-to when, you know, for my experience has been after I was established for a few years, banks are a little bit more comfortable dealing with you. You have a history and all of these pieces. And so, you know, is there a time and place where the EDC you know, where EDC can come in and be like, okay, we'll provide those guarantees. Like, are you in business for a certain amount of time? Or is there some criteria we need to look at? That's a great question, Hannah. And, and yes, I mean, step number one is, is just understanding the stage of your business and what different uh, funding providers require. Um, EDC is a, a senior lender, meaning we're very much like a bank ourselves. We will take extra risk when it comes to businesses growing quickly outside of Canada, that's our mandate. But at the end of the day, we need to work with financial institutions. So, you know, and banks will typically look at your, your business history. They wanna make sure your business is profitable, that you're commercialized, you have customers and you're selling. Um, you know, in the earlier stages of a business startup, there's different types of capital that maybe are more appropriate for your business. And so, you know, uh, now and now, nowadays, you know, there's many different types of sources of capital coming up. CEO is one that's, um, you know, that's really trying to do things differently. And we're seeing more and more of that in the marketplace. Um, financial institutions and even organizations like EDC and BDC still are, um, you know, we're, we're financial institutions, right? So there are some certain um, metrics that we look at. A business that's got a few years of, of history under its belt that's growing uh, and, and then when debt is, is appropriate for, for the stage of your business. That said, um, loans and, and financing are not the only thing 
that's on offer here, right? Yeah. So like yeah. I was mentioning, in the earlier stages, a lot of times what a company needs is information, advice. Um, you so know, much. where do I go? Where do I go? And that's what EDC has really been trying to build out. You know, one good example, Hannah, if I can um, just mention it, is our export help hub. You know, uh, a curated online accessible 24-7 uh, digital hub where any company can go and access a free information on any trade related question. And if you cannot find the answer to your specific question, we have a team of trade advisors, you can enter your question and someone will get back to you in a very short amount of time. And again, we talk about saving time, right? And I think this is one of those things that women entrepreneurs need more than anything is anything that's going to save them time. So in this case, EDC trade advisors are doing the research for you and getting you the answers you need on any trade or export related topic. So these services are available all complimentary. And I just don't Amazing. think there's enough awareness about it. Um, so that's what I mean. At any stage of your export journey, um, I think there's something that you can benefit from. Yeah, I think that's amazing. Anything we can do to remove, there are already so many barriers for yes. women and non-binary people when we're looking at funding, building businesses. So, you know, any barriers that we can remove as organizations is, is really, really important. I have a great question in chat here that I'm just going to scroll up from Angela. Please post your questions in chat. You can get them answered. I can ask them, might be able to come off mute. Angela's asking when and how to decide if we should find an importer, distributor, or just sell to consumers in another country. And then a little bit to that is, is there a site that lists distributors? I hear that all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, how do I even find that? She's specific in fashion uh, apparel, but you know, kind of broadly on that question, when should we decide importer distributor? And is there a site? How do you even, how do you even know that? A lot of trial and error, I suppose. I mean, it's very specific <laughs> to your industry. And yeah. so if, for example, you are making um, food and beverage, then there are food and beverage distributors. There are um, distributors that specifically focus on natural products, for example. Um, there are trade shows um, for natural products. And so this is all B2B that I'm talking about specifically. And I think my first caution around thinking about going to B2B is really making sure you've got adequate margins before you even consider it. Because if you don't, you're kind of wasting your time because you're not gonna have any money left over for yourself after the distributor or retailer takes their margin. So first have healthy margins. and. That is why direct-to-consumer is always the preferred route. If you have a website, you can reach them. You just have to have a really good way to reach them, acquire that customer and convert them. But if that's going really well and really solid, then I would say exporting or going wholesale is your next option. Unless, you, unless that's your business plan from the outset saying, I'm actually in this sector, I'm in food and I'm going big and I, I need, you know, the way to succeed is, is through scale. But that's not very typical for a lot of startups um, unless they have a lot of capital and a big vision and a, and, a, and a track record and a plan saying, I know how to do this, I've done it before. But if you're just starting out, I would say direct to consumer is the way to go. And when I say it's a bit of trial and error, you're gonna come across websites or 
brokers, if you will, who will represent your brand. Um, recently on the CEO Slack channel, um, Nita Tandon had mentioned and recommended FAIR. And I don't have the URL because it's not just FAIR.com, it's something like getfair or something like the .com. And so they are a online marketplace for B2B sales. So if you will, they're an online distributor. And they take their margin. Mm -hmm. I think they take 25% on your first order. So that's that's a lot you know, of margin that they're taking right off the bat. So they're out there and I think you just have to network and research and find out who's there and make sure that you've got enough money left for yourself and that they are the right channel for you because maybe they're not the right customers. Or if you find a broker, make sure that they are experts in your sector. So it's it's networking as Jennifer talked about and, and finding out who's out there and, and testing it out and make sure that model works for you because some of these um, distributors also have a dropship model. And if dropshipping is not something you wanna do because it's extra work to always be sending to every single customer, then that model's not gonna work for you. So there's no magic bullet and there's no one website or one broker. If there was, <laughs> we'd all be making a lot of money. Uh, <laughs> go ahead, Jen. Just two things to add to that. And I think that's really sage advice that Suzanne's providing, particularly on, on you know, making sure you've got the margins to even take that model. It, it's all, it comes back to strategic planning and what's your market entry strategy. And you've really got to do some homework. Um, you know, we talk about strategic planning. It doesn't mean you have to sit down and write a book and think through everything, but there's certain uh, things you've got to go through and, and make sure that it works for your business before you, you go forward. And that's one of them. I would just mention though, that there are other, um, again, part of networking is figuring out what other resources are available. And the trade commissioner service can certainly help with identifying some qualified uh, potential partners in a specific market. So if you're targeting a specific market and you're looking for a distributor, um, they're on the ground in 160 countries, the Trade Commissioner Service. And that's one of the things they do is they help provide qualified uh, contacts and connections for you. So, so don't be shy to reach out. Um, there's, you know, the Trade Commissioner Service also offers funding opportunities if you're trying to access a new market like the Can Export Program. So there's other reasons to, to have a contact in the Trade Commissioner Service as well. Um, but that planning piece uh, and doing your homework on it is really critical. The other thing I'll just also add is when you decide to go to distributors and wholesalers, you better be prepared that you can meet the volume because some of them are not going to take you on unless you are able to provide a minimum volume. So if you're shipping, say 10 orders a day and you pick up a distributor and they expect a thousand units, like, are you prepared to ship a thousand units? So there's, there's volume considerations, which then goes to cash flow, which then takes you to the bank, which then takes you to EDC. I saw the infographic right there. This is what happens <laughs> when we start to export. It's perfect. It's perfect. You know, what are the, what is like one thing, Jen, that you wish entrepreneurs did or knew before they started exporting? I mean, there's so many, but <laughs> there's, yeah, there's so many, um, you know, I think the importance of networking and, and asking questions and, you know, making your plan and, and knowing that there are people 
that are available to help you and asking for that help is is really important um yeah just ask for the help that you need oh ask i mean that is like ask and give right it's like and give and ask all the time being in community being in relationship intentionally even it it makes me re, uh, remember about my own businesses where we moved into Calgary and really built community for five years because we knew we would want to build a business one day, but we knew what it took first was a community of people around you to do it. And so it was volunteering for the events that I love in the startup community. It was a lot of volunteering, honestly, and showing up at the things that you love to do that you're passionate at. Um, and for us, it was like in social justice was the homeless shelters at the time. And and so it's like showing up and building those relationships. Cause when we went to start the business, we had all these people like biggest cheerleaders, how can I open this door? And, and that's, and then got introduced to CEO for us. And, and it's like, if you build the relationships before you build your business or in the very early stages, it really can change the game of your own company. Has that been your experience, Suzanne, over these years? Yeah, I mean, I think that had we not had the relationships and we certainly didn't you know during some of the early days is you struggle and you you're you're learning and you're making mistakes so if if you have the luxury of the time and the investment to build all those out before you really start spending money or before you really invest in whatever it is you're investing in like do that research and that's that's the beauty of CEO what an amazing network like even as long as I've been in business already I'm still learning from my peers yeah, absolutely. The learning from peers and other entrepreneurs and what we'll do at the uh, end of this session is to give time to people to connect with each other, to resource each other. Uh, Suzanne, I'm thinking about the CEO summit a year ago when we were all together right before COVID. Mm -hmm. Literally, I think both of our last events, physical events together, a lot of us. And, you know, a hand goes up in the room and says, I need to know the CEO of this. And another person goes, well, I know that person. And so you really don't know who people know. And what that took was a really, a, an ask. Some people would say bold ask. I just say, it's an ask. Mm -hmm. Do you know that CEO? Uh, the other tip that I love around networking and connecting is look at the five people in your network that you really love and that you look up to and are people that, and then ask them to introduce you to one other person that they think you should absolutely know. That changed how I built my community really quickly. I went to five other entrepreneurs and you can set up, you can find out who is distri distributing and not distributing. You can find out a lot of pieces uh, when you just ask for help. So I think that's really, really important. Um, Jen, on your side, are there any, what are some like not final thoughts? We're gonna take a couple more questions, but are, are there anything that you really wanna to communicate to the entrepreneurs around exporting? tools, resources. We know that you have incredible resources on your website. Yeah. I mean, for me, the main message is be inspired, right? And I, I'm going to come full circle to, to where we started is I think, you know, as women and, and non-binary people, you know, we often want to know all the answers before we start. And I think that we wait too long right? We wait too long. And so um, get started and, and think about the possibilities. And you're not going to know everything all at once, but that 
there are resources, there are people that are here to help. And, you know, you can start small. You know, this is one of the biggest misconceptions is that exporting is only for large companies or for those that manufacture goods. Um, but more and more, some companies are, are, are starting as exporters. Um, often, actually, if you're really innovative, um, you know, you, you have to sell outside of Canada before you're even accepted in Canada, which is really crazy and hard to believe. And that's for, for others of us that are activators and purchasers is that we really should support Canadian businesses with our own purchasing power, mm. um, especially those ones that are, that are really innovating and finding new ways of doing things. But, um, but don't be afraid, I guess, would be, uh, you know, a thought that I want to put out there and, you know, look to other successful entrepreneurs that are doing it. And, and, and again, ask, right. Um, because people are here to help. I think within the CEO network, uh, even just the way the CEO network is built, you're set up to be able to succeed in going global. And, and as we talked about at the beginning, the, the impact report shows it, right. Look at how many of the CEO ventures are selling beyond our borders and not just to the US. You know, Canada oh. is so fortunate uh, in the sense of the relationships that we have globally. Uh, you know, I think we've got the most bilateral uh, trade agreements to any other country in the world. We should be taking advantage of that because, you know, the people, the businesses in those other countries are, are selling here so we should be getting out there and Canada has just so much to offer and um, Suzanne said it best Canada has a great brand and uh, let's just take our stuff to the world yeah I've never up until this call I didn't really consider about the brand that Canada has like put it in that market right where people really do there's there's trust there there's something as a country we have built up and, uh, and from an entrepreneur perspective, I think that's such a great piece to look at when you're exporting. And we do also consume a bunch of products that are imported in. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. That's a whole other piece. And the other, the other last thing that just came to my mind as you were saying that, Hannah, is that, you know, in Canada, in addition to our great brand, we're also doing things that are, are right, that are right for our planet, that are right socially. And I think more and more um, this concept of ESG, environmental, social governance, is a competitive advantage out in the world. So as Canadians, let's take advantage of that and, and you know, and be the leaders, take our stuff to the world. Yeah, absolutely. I want to ask this question that came from Vogue and it's in, it's in uh, the chat. Are there segment market research resources available for certain countries through the, through EDC? 100% yes. Um, we have market guides, doing business in guides. We have webinars on different exporting topics. I saw um, somebody put in the chat, you know, uh, advice on protecting your IP. Um, we have all of this, so yes. Perfect, so you have everything. It's just all the links. We're gonna send you all the links and do all of the things. Um, Suzanne, any final thoughts, wrap-ups? Um, I, I saw some commentary about trademarks and patents and IP, and I just wanna share in my experience that um, 
be be wise in choosing your brand name and your URL such that when you go beyond Canada, you're not jeopardizing your equity that you built into the brand. I've met so many entrepreneurs who once they went into the US, they had to rebrand because they found out that it wasn't working. And so that's just something to consider. And so when you're doing your IP search um, and trademark search, go definitely go into the US because that's going to be a natural place to go. Um, it's going to be very expensive to make sure that you've got patents and trademarks beyond the US um, because every country will charge more and more and more. And I get this question asked a lot is like, you know, have you patented your product? And we chose not to because A, it's expensive and B, you have to have the funds to protect your patent. And so my philosophy is have a great product and be constantly innovating and doing a great job and staying ahead of your competitors and, and always being better than what you already are so that you're not kind of stuck to this one great invention and then worried about somebody copying it because inevitably it is going to get copied and somebody only has to do a small variation to what you're making or doing to overcome any kind of protection. So I, I'm definitely not an expert and I would recommend you, you talk to an expert, but it's just my own personal experience around um, trademarks, IP and patents is, you know, don't assume you have to do everything, but do a minimum amount before, unless, because you can get easily into trouble or it's going to cost a minimum amount. Yeah. yeah. A minimum amount. I agree. There's, there's some interesting things around that. I think if you do too much, it's too, too soon. It's also really costly and will hurt, yes. you know, your cash flow and all of those pieces. So the minimum amount is really key. Thank you for joining us. Jennifer, Suzanne, you're a wealth of knowledge. Exporting for most entrepreneurs, their eyes would roll back in their head. They want to do it, but like, it seems overwhelming and you really broke it down into simple ways that we can look at and do that. So thank you for that. Thank you for listening to this special edition of CEO Learning Circle in partnership with EDC, Export Development Canada. Please visit edc.ca for more information. Now, go and like, comment, subscribe, and share this podcast with all your friends. We invite you to join a global community of radically generous women and non-binary folks at CEO.world.